Welcome to the September 17th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12, through 12, and the sermon is entitled, Proclaiming Your Identity in Christ, delivered today by Pastor Jeffrey Campbell. We'll take your Bibles, go to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. Last week we started uh, in chapter number 2, and, and we spoke about many different things, but this week... Uh, we're looking at verses 9 through 12 of chapter number 2. We are living in a world where your identity matters. Who you are matters. It matters so much and it is so important that there are people that are trying to steal your identity. They want to mimic who you are. They want your information for their own personal gain. But when you think about identity and how that is important in this day, yes, they're being stolen, and yes, they're being changed on a daily basis, but how you are identified matters. I worked in the public sector for 16 years, and I've told this a time or two, to BWXT, Jeffrey was just a number. That's, who, that's what identified me. I was a number, and from that number, they could tell you everything about my work history. Now, aren't you glad that you aren't just a number to God? If you know your Bible and you understand your Bible, you have a created purpose from an almighty God. Every single individual, one of us, has that. We've been ordained to be purposed, to be used by God. And so our identity in Him matters. But today, we realize that a world identifies you by a social security number. They identify you by your color of skin. They identify you, male or female, and I will interject and say, yes, there are only two genders. For many people, the issue of trying to figure out who you really are goes beyond the Bible and the church and the walls of this building. And so I think it's important to speak to it. And I want to do it in this manner today. Even in the body of Christ, there are people trying to figure out who they really are. I was the youth pastor here for 13 years. And in those teen years, I want you to try to think back to those years if you can. And some of you are in those years. But in those teen years, you are forming who you are for the rest of your life. But you are trying to figure out who you want to be. And that's a tough season of life to be in as a teenager. But also, within our midst and within our congregation today, there are people that have recently lost loved ones. And you are in a season of trying to figure out what that looks like and how that affects you and, and what you are to do with the rest of your life. If you have lost a husband or a, or a wife, your identity has changed in so many ways. And I know that's hard. Maybe today that you are in this building and you are a newlywed. Do we have any newlyweds in the building? I hate to single you out. Reggie and Mary Ann, I'm glad you raised your hand. Praise God. But here's what I want you to know. In those early years of marriage, it's hard. It's hard to figure out where your shoes goes and where her shoes go. That was a big deal. 
It was a big deal to figure out which side of the bed was yours because it used to all be mine, right? And in a king-sized bed, I've got about this much, okay? I want you to know that. I'll understand that after 18 years. I've, I've understood that. But I say that in a joking manner, but it's true. Those first years, now listen to me, listen to me. Those first years of marriage where you have not spent any time together, living together, and you're trying to grow and understand and learn one another, those years of identity are hard, and they're hard on a marriage. And so I want you to know, you may have entered this place today and say, oh, I'm fine. I know who I am. I know who I am in the Lord. I don't have an identity issue. Here's the truth. We all either are dealing with something or we know somebody that is dealing with something. The greatest change in identity comes when Jesus Christ saves a heart, moves into a life. And that life is changed forever. That is the greatest change of identity. The old is dead and the new is there. The sinner is gone. The blood of Jesus has moved in. And friends, today when we think of identity... I want to speak to you today that God is not the author of confusion when it comes to who you are. Who you are in Christ matters. And I want to use today's scripture from 2 Peter chapter number 2 verses 9 through 12 to lead you in a study of four areas as children of God and proclaiming your identity in Christ. Christ and how important that is to you. Now remember, before I get started, Peter is speaking and writing to a group of people that have left their homeland, they have left their families, they are in a strange land. And so they are trying to figure out what it means to be young Christians in a different world, in a different land. And Peter writes that in Christ that's where your identity is. Fast forward to today. It's no different. Sometimes we forget where, I, where our identity lies. So with that said, let's look at verse number 9. 1 Peter chapter number 2, verse number 9. These verses will be familiar to you. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation... A peculiar people that ye shouldn't show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So many times as Christians, we like to focus on the ending of that verse. We like to claim the ending of that verse. That we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. But here's what I want you to know. There's so much more definition at the beginning of this Verse point number one, in Christ you are a peculiar people, a peculiar people. Verse number nine opens up with a three-letter word that you've got to pay attention to, but that word looks back to verses seven and eight. And last week we saw that Peter reminded these believers that Jesus was precious and there will be many that see him as a precious part of their life. But there will be many, as we've seen in Scripture last week, that will stumble over who Jesus is. And so Peter continues to write on that thought. Jesus is either going to be put in a place of honor 
or he's either going to be put in a place that will cause you to stumble. And it is my personal belief, this is Jeffrey's belief, that if somebody dies and goes to hell, they will have to stumble over Jesus in some time to get there. And that is why the Christian's job is so important. To witness and proclaim and to live a life that identifies with Christ. But, verse number 9 starts, Ye are a chosen generation. I underline in my Bible those two words, Ye are or you are. He reminds these believers, even though you are in a strange land, and even though you are questioning, and even though you are doubting, and even though you are young in faith, you are a very important people. And you have an, a very important job in the Lord. That little conjunction throws into motion that Peter says we are a chosen generation. And I know that you may look at your generation and say, oh, this, this generation, my generation was a great generation. Now I will say this, some of you that are older in this congregation, you have a wonderful generation. Maybe the greatest this country has ever known, and I don't want to take that from you. But it's so easy to look at this generation and say, the world is gone to pot, and very quickly. But we've got to remember that even in this generation, there are chosen people of God that He is still in control of what is going on. When we think of peculiar people, we think of somebody that, that may be different or may, maybe somebody that sticks up their nose to us because they're better. That's not the intention here. The intention is this, that you are different only because of Jesus. Here's what I want to tell you, family. Jesus should make you different than the world. Jesus should make you different. A chosen generation reaches all the way back to the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 7, verses 6 through 8, when God says this, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be special people unto himself. Above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now listen to this. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Because of God's love, that is what shows you and I many years ago, far before Adam fell. Far before you were born, you were chosen in the eyes of God. You are a chosen generation. And it's not up to somebody else or the next generation to take Christ to the world. It is our duty and our job this day to take Jesus to this world. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how or what age bracket you fall into. We are the generation that can change this world. Now with that said, you are a chosen generation. 
by an almighty, absolutely loving God. And I'm glad that God moved beyond Israel. And Jesus died on the cross, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. And that welcomed me into the family of God. That welcomed me into the chosen generation. But not only does verse number 9 speak of a chosen generation, it speaks of a royal priesthood. What was the job, what was the priestly tribe of Israel? It was the Levites. They had one job, one job only, and that was to lead the nation in worship of an almighty God. And friends, today in verse number 5 and in verse number 9, you are reminded that you are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, that you have been chosen and set apart for the work of the Lord. Listen, listen, listen. It's not just the preacher's job to preach. The priesthood of the believer involves the the entirety of the body of the church. I grew up in the Methodist church that didn't see it that way. That thought that the pastor had sole authority over a lot of things. I'm thankful for the Baptist model, I'll say that. That puts you and I on equal ground. That puts your job and my job. I don't care if they're rocking a baby downstairs right now. That job is just as important as my job right now. But here's what I want, want to tell you. As a royal priesthood, you've been set apart to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors to a world for Jesus Christ. Don't take that role lightly, please. Verse number 9. Not only are you a chosen generation and a royal priesthood, but you are a holy nation. Now remember, he is writing to newly converted Jews on the run. They have no home. They have no nation. They are in territory that is not of their own. And yet he says, you are a holy nation. As I read that, I scratched my head and I began to chuckle. And I want to say this. We live in a great nation, the United States of America. We live in a wonderful place. And I'm, I'm thankful for God allowing me to be born here and live here. And the freedom that this country offers. But listen. The United States is not a holy nation. Here's what I want you to know. The holy people were in unholy territory running for their life. And yet he says, you are the holy nation. The remnant of believers are the holy ones. The believers are the ones that are on the run in foreign land and people of unbelief. And Peter says, you are the holy nation. Clifford Baptist Church. You are a holy nation. As believers, as the body of Christ, we should be holy people set apart. I'm not going to get political in this. I'm thankful for our country. But here's what I want to say. Christian is far better than American. I'm going to say that one more time. Christian is far better responsibility than American. If you invert those two, you will be in trouble and you will fall. Anything, listen to me, anything that comes before the Lord becomes your God. I love my wife, but I love her second to Jesus. I love my country, but I, it's on down the line below Jesus. There are some passionate patriots in our land, and I'm thankful for that. And we need to be passionate people. We're going to get to that. But here's what I want to tell you. Our job as believers 
and Christians should be the first and foremost in our lives. You are a holy nation, a group of people that is set apart to proclaim the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. The last one in verse number 9 is a peculiar people. It speaks to a people of possession. Not that we are just, uh, our, our noses are up in there. Listen, now listen, I will say this. There are some Christians that walk around with their nose up in the air. The day your pastor does it, you better bring me down. I want you to know that, okay? I will never look up or down to no one. I want to look eye to eye when I talk to them about Jesus. We're not better than anyone. Don't you dare walk out of here, puff your chest out, and think you're better than somebody else. But for the grace of God, you would be still in your sin. A peculiar people. We are different, but yet we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are people of faith that our home is is with each other and with one another. And our church is under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately, that shows that we belong to Him. It's not saying, I am better than you. It's reaching out a hand and saying, come join me, because Jesus is the best. A peculiar people are people that belong to somebody. Friends, I'm thankful today to tell you that I'm grateful that I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Second point, today, look at verses 9 and 10. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. In Christ you are a pious People. Point number two, you are a pious people. Pious means someone who is very religious or very obedient in their faith. Now, I'm not calling you to be religious. I am calling you to be obedient in your faith. Obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter reminds them who they are. They are chosen out of a land. And they are to be a light The end of verse number 9, he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are to be a light to a dark, dark world. We're to show forth the praises. But here's what I want you to remember. You're not called out of darkness for you to shine. You are called out of darkness so that you could shine the light of Jesus to those that are still in the darkness. It's not about you. It's about reflecting the Christ that lives in you. And you care enough about being obedient to Jesus Christ that you want to do that no matter where you are and no matter where he leads you. God was leading these people into foreign land and to foreign field to take the gospel message there. That was God's great plan. The people did not understand that. And I believe and I will submit to you today there are things happening even in our own church. Listen to me. That I don't understand why they're happening. And I don't know what's going on. And I wish I could take the reins and have control over. But here's what I want to tell you, church. God is doing something. 
And I can't see the picture clearly right now. But we must be faithful and we must be obedient. We must be pious people to be faithful to the end to see what that looks like. We're not called to bask in the presence of an almighty God. God did not save you for heaven. God saved you for the work that he has for you to do here on this earth. Yes, he promises us heaven. I don't want to take that lightly. We all have that promise. But we're saved for a purpose while we're here on this earth. To show forth the praise of the Lord that we loved and that called us out of that darkness into his marvelous light. But here's what I want you to know today. We've got to be careful people that as we are obedient, that we continue to lift up the name of Jesus. In verse number 10, Peter writes, Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God. Which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Here's what I want you to know. That, that, is, that is pulled from the Old Testament. And many of you know the story of Hosea who married an unfaithful prostitute in Gomer. And just as he was married to an unfaithful prostitute, guess what? God was married to an unfaithful nation. And that's, that's, the, that's the resemblance there. But the naming of the children tell you something. And that's where you get this, this language. As Peter looks back in verse number 10, which in time past were not a people. Now listen, remember this. The name of the, of the children of Hosea. The first son, his name was Jezreel, which means a God that sows. A God that sows. The daughter came along and her name was Lo-Ruhamah, which means no mercy, not loved. Why would you name your kid that? Why? Because God told them to. Remember, he's speaking to his nation. The second son comes along and his name, lo am I, not my people. So as Peter writes in, in verse number 10, you've got to look back to the Old Testament to truly understand what he's talking about. There was a time that God said, these are not my people. But Peter says, how can you go from being a people that are not people of God to as verse number 10, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but have now have obtained mercy. How does that happen? It only happens through the mercy of God. The mercy of a Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, that's the only reason I can stand before you. That's the only reason I can enter the room. It's the mercy of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to know today, as we think of people that are obedient to their faith, we must know that there are times past that God has turned His back. And people have turned their back on God. That's why God turned His back. But when we don't want God in our schools, and we don't want God in our family, and we don't want God in our nation, what should we expect from God? Even in this room today, when we don't want to be obedient to the Word of God, you know what it says, and yet we choose another road. What do we expect from God? Peter reminds the people, in this foreign land, where your life is on the line, 
You are to be a people of light and a people of mercy and a people of God. Today, if you get nothing out of this sermon, I pray that you hear that. We all need to be the people of God that we proclaim. Point number three, verses 11 and 12. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Point number three, in Christ, you are a passionate people. I had to put that word in there because that's what people say I am. I'm passionate. You know what I tell them? You should see me on the ball field. You should see me on the sideline coaching. Then you will see somebody passionate. Here's what I want you to know. I love the Lord. And I hope you do too. And I don't have to stand here and beat on my chest about how much I love Jesus. Here's what I want to do. I want to stand here and tell you Jesus loves you too. And what he done in my life, he can do for you. And that's why I'm so passionate. That's why I believe the Lord called me to be a preacher. Because God changed my life. And he just wants me to be able to tell the story. The simple story that we learned as young people. Jesus loves you. We all remember the song. About Jesus loves me. This I know. It seems like when we get in our teenage years... We're too good to sing that song. And we move into our 20s and 30s and we still remember the song. And as we get older in life, oh, that we could still be that and have that passion we had. I've said this before. I I wish I had the passion when I first got saved. When I first got saved at 15 years old, I went around my small little church down 60 East and I beat on every neighborhood door there was and said, will you come to church? Will you come to Jesus? Don't do that today. I would advise you don't do that because you don't know what you will be met with, okay? Now, I may still do it, but don't you do it. I'm not telling you to do that. But here's what I want you to know. At 15 years old, I believe I had more passion than I did at 40 because Jesus did something miraculous in my life. These are young Christians in a foreign land. And here's what Peter says. There are, there are a couple of things that they're in battle with. In verse number 11, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. You see that word war there. They're in battle With a few things. The first thing they're in battle with is their future. Peter didn't tell them what the end looked like. Peter didn't tell them what was going to happen once they got there. What they were to do. Peter didn't give any of that. God didn't give them any instructions of what the future looked like. He just made them run. And just be obedient. They didn't have any answer for it. And yet through their faith as strangers and aliens and pilgrims and sojourners, they didn't know what the future held for themselves. In all likelihood, it held death because of their faith. That's all they knew. But there were no promises of the future. And here's what I want you to know. There's no promise with your future. There's no promise for tomorrow for any one of us. Yes, we need to be passionate today. 
We need to tell people today. We need to proclaim the Lord's love today. Don't put it off. Because tomorrow is not guaranteed. They were also warring. The second thing. And that fleshly lust as you see in verse number 11. Now if somebody in here says that they don't battle. Or they have never fought fleshly love, uh, lust. They are lying to your face I believe. The desires of the flesh aren't just of the sexual nature. They are of the personal nature. When you want to do your own thing, that's a battle of the flesh. And Peter warns these people to abstain from some things. Abstain from the fleshly lust which war against the soul. Holding on to things that you need to let go of will harm you and hurt you. And so I want to tell you today, don't be distracted by those fleshly things that you war against. The best thing that you can do is lay them down at the feet of Jesus and leave them there. Today, if you are fighting a fleshly battle, the best thing that you can do at the moment of invitation is walk up here, you kneel down, and you lay it at the feet of Jesus. And do not pick it back up. You will war against that. And the third thing, look at verse number 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. The third thing that they war against is their conversation and their conduct. Our lives should serve as an encouragement to others. We don't separate. We are the change agents in a cruel world. And so what I want you to know is that we as chosen people need to live that life that is different. But it also needs to match up. The conduct and the conversation needs to match up to the conversion. That's why people view, that's why the world sees the church as a big old hypocrite party. It's because it doesn't match up. We say one thing and we do another. And so passionate people are not, not are passionate so much about other people that they want to be transparent. They want everything to match up. So today I would encourage you, those people that surround you, to minister to them. The last point today comes from verse number 12. And that is this. In Christ, you are a proven people. You are a proven people. If your conversation is honest and your actions are honest and it matches up to the conversion of Jesus Christ, it's amazing. You don't have to keep no secrets. You can throw the doors wide open and everyone can see it. And yet, even Christians close the doors. I'm guilty. You can't go there, God. I'm not going to let you in that part of my life because that part hurts so much. Or I've been hurt in the past. Or I've had a bad experience. Listen to me, church. If I left church because of a bad experience, I'd have left it a long time ago. And I'd have never came back. Here's the truth of it. I left it, but I could not run because the Spirit of God was in me so much that He called me back to Himself. Don't use church hurt as a reason to run. A proven people 
as our lives are to be lived in a way that as people look at our lives, they don't question and they don't doubt and they don't accuse, but they seek the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life as somebody is watching, and in case you didn't know it, here's a newsflash to every one of you. Somebody's watching you. It just might be that child of yours. It might be that husband or wife that's not a believer. It might be that kinfolk. It may be somebody across the sanctuary. Somebody's watching your life. And you know what I've always figured out? At the wrong time, somebody's really going to be watching. At the time I don't want them to see me, that's when they're going to see me. I told you I was passionate on the ball field. This is not my notes. There was one of my Saunders kids that was in my youth group showed up to a ball game in which I questioned the umpire very loudly at. I I not only questioned him, I told him he got the call wrong. I just told him that. Wednesday night I come to church after that game and the youth, I got you right here, Pastor Jeffrey. (laughs) It's amazing. Our passions can sometimes go a different direction. So today... When Peter writes to a people that would run from their li- for their lives. When Peter would write to a people whom Nero would blame for the burning of Rome. It was the Christians that burnt the city. When indeed it was himself. We are people who maybe are not how out to prove how good we are or how strong we are or how much we give or, or what we do. We're out to prove the the goodness of our God. So today, I stand before you to say this. Yes, I'm passionate. Yes, I'm pious. I try to be. Yes, I'm peculiar. But here's what I want you to know, church. My identity, I pray, will always rest in Christ not anything that I do not the times that I stumble not the times that I mislead but in the mercy of Jesus Christ in the place of honor that's where people will see the Lord is in my life I want to leave you with one piece of scripture from the book of Matthew chapter number 5 Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, these are Jesus' words, and here's what he writes. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Friends, today, as we close out this worship service, I don't know what, what type of identity issues we have in the room. Maybe you're in a season where you're trying to figure out what it really means to follow the Lord. And here's my encouragement to you. When God deals with you, He deals with you. Let Him do the work and just be obedient through that process. You may not know what the future looks like. Trust Him step by step. Today, maybe you're a Christian here and you say, Jeffrey, I've got my life totally together. Everything is, is in its place. Well, God bless you. Don't you ever walk around this church 
or your family or out in the world thinking that you've got it all figured out. Because that's far from the truth. The reality is, Christians, if we dig deep enough, there's something. There's something that needs to be submitted to the Lord that He has the place of honor. Maybe today there's somebody in this room that truly needs an identity change. And that's when the old man dies and the new is born. The world will tell you you only need one birth. The Bible says you need two. You must be born again. And I want to tell you today that is where identity changes. The old becomes new. The lost becomes found. The hell bound becomes heaven bound. The unsaved becomes saved. By the grace of an almighty God. And today if there's somebody that needs that. I pray that you will not walk out of this. An unchanged uh, person searching for an identity. That Jesus Christ will be the one that you pick up. That will be your mantle. And as you raise it for the world to see. That through his shed blood he can forgive sins. And that he can bring you to, to the loving relationship that he so deserves with you. Today, if that is you, here is God's invitation, not Jeffrey's. The Lord's invitation to himself. You come. Whatever your need, I know the Lord will meet us in this moment of invitation. And we give it to him now. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we come before you today. Lord, submitting this moment of invitation and what we've heard maybe today. Congregation has heard a, a stumbling voice. My prayer right now in this moment of invitation that you will remove anything human out of that. And right now what their heart focuses on and their ears focus on are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And love calls each one to his own. God, I pray, Lord, if there's somebody that needs you as Savior, God, today's that day. Maybe there's somebody that's wrestling with a difficult situation and they're trying to figure out how God's going to do it and how God's going to lead them through it. How they're even going to get through it. God, I pray, Lord, because of Christ, they might, may not be able to see the end, but they can look at today and see your hand of mercy and grace leading them along the way. God, I pray in this moment of invitation that you would lead it and bring people that need you in whatever way, as we lay it before your throne today, I thank you for your holy work and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.